Discovering our extraordinary God in the ordinary things of life. Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop with Father Matthew Spencer on Relevant Radio. Father Matthew Spencer, nor am I a Catholic priest, but my name is Timory Jaja, also known as Millington. You may catch my program, Trending with Timory, at Sundays in the morning, that is, at least on the West Coast where I am, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. A little bit about me, if you've not heard Trending with Timory before. I've grown up Catholic, cradle Catholic all my life. I've been involved in the pro-life movement for many years and worked for five years in a crisis pregnancy center before working in Catholic radio and speaking, talking about those controversial topics from abortion to gender ideology to diving into our faith as well. So we're going to dig into today and we have some fun conversations coming up, one of which will include a guest who's on the ground in Rome. He is the Catholic Traveler. So stay tuned because we'll be talking a little bit about the insanity and also the heartbreak for anyone who may have lost a friend or a family member uh, to the coronavirus or the flu this year of just how everything is on lockdown there in Rome. So we'll be talking about that a little later on. For those who don't know a little bit about me as well, uh, um, so grew up in a Catholic family, very pro-life family, and the life issues have been central to what I have focused on for a number of years now. Um seen firsthand in the crisis pregnancy centers, the heartbreak and the challenge that so many women face when they find out that they are in a crisis pregnancy has really been at the heart of where I've really come to understand the tough sexual moral issues that our culture faces. You know, whether it's a woman who's having a hard time leaving an abusive relationship because she's bonded with and really cares for that person, yet she's having a hard time leaving. You know, we've seen women come in through the crisis pregnancy centers who want more for their lives, yet circumstances have brought them to that place where an unplanned pregnancy has come up. And for them, it's unthinkable a lot of the time to have a child, but it's also sometimes unthinkable to not have that child as well. And so I've seen firsthand the difficult decisions that women have made, and we'll be talking about some of these abortion topics later on. I don't know who's been following just the insanity of the Shout Your Abortion campaign, but there were speeches in front of the Supreme Court just a couple of days ago, and one of the testimonies was by Busy Phillips, and surely she shouts her abortion. It is heartbreaking to hear just the stories of woman after woman who is so broken and isn't it a sign of the brokenness when they're willing to scream out what their experience was. So we'll be talking about that a little later on. I want to talk a little bit about my experience over the last couple of years. So I'm a newlywed, just married back in 2019 in February to my dear husband, Gabriel. And it has on my mind, brought to my mind a lot lately, the topics of marriage and dating. And I see so many people who are facing the challenge of what's happening in the dating scene. You know, the huge conversation this past week has been really two shows that I've seen. Uh, one of which is that show Love is Blind, the new Netflix show about basically 
basically a love experiment, if you want to call that, you know, 38-ish days where a couple of people, you know, basically get to know each other through a wall, kind of like a version of the Catholic confessional, but it's no confessional. Instead, you're figuring out if this is going to be your lifelong partner. And then they propose. And then after they propose, they meet for the first time. After they meet for the first time, then they go on a vacation, you know, because we have this attitude today that we kind of try everything on. And, you know, it's interesting because rather than trying a person out, getting to know them, we literally try them on with our bodies. And that's the story that essentially we see through this love is blind reality TV program or Netflix program. What do we call it now? You know, we're past like reality TV because it's technically not TV. It's live streaming. I swear I always get the name wrong, whether it's a DVD. I still say things that come out on DVD now, and I'm totally wrong when I say that. I need to get with it and say live streaming or available, not even for download because we don't download things anymore. So I don't know, maybe you guys can let us know what those things are that you're having a hard time keeping up with because you're still using a phrase from the past that just does not fit. So the story also that we're seeing is a story of The Bachelor, where we also have another dating or possible marriage story almost gone wrong in a sense. We're waiting to see what the final outcome will be. But we have a woman on the show who's saying, you know, I'm not going to have sex before marriage. In fact, I'm a virgin. And she's looking to the current Bachelor. Patrick, and she's saying, hey, just so you know, I'm not okay with the fantasy suite. For those who don't watch The Bachelor, that's where right before you go into proposing, they have this fantasy suite night, and the various contestants have the opportunity to come in and actually have a fantasy suite night if that's what they not what they want. And one of the contestants, Madison, said, hey, I'm not okay with that. You know, I'm not okay with having sex before marriage. She's not okay with trying things on. And I think that this is the message we need to come at in our culture right now, that so many people are confused by what dating looks like and how to meet people, because what they have in front of them are unrealistic setups of things such as love is blind and the bachelor. And so my challenge, and I want to hear from you guys who are listening right now, is where did you meet your spouse? What are some of the opportunities you found as a great option? And what could we maybe, because I know a lot of people met their spouses, you know, at bars. And a lot of the people today don't feel comfortable doing that, looking for someone of substance at a bar. And that's no diss on people who met their spouses at a bar. But there's something to be said of the good old watering hole, right? Where the watering hole was where we met people, right? The place where we just kind of hung out after work for an hour or two. Is that the coffee shop now? Where is it that you want to meet someone? So that's my challenge is I want to hear from you guys. Give some wisdom to those people who are so hungry to date someone and try someone out, not try someone on. That's the challenge that I want to see if anyone's interested in. I believe in just a minute here, we're going to be ready to talk about the coronavirus. We have a guest coming on today who has been on the ground there in Rome. Now, this is really exciting for me because I have been following a little bit of Mount work where he is actually hosting Catholic tours there in Rome of the beloved city that so many of us have always either dreamed of going to or maybe have nostalgic memories of really diving deeper into our faith. So we'll go ahead and have our dear friend Mountain on with us now. Mountain, are you there? I am. Hi. Mountain, thanks so much for joining us. Now tell me, I'm horrible with last names. Can you say your last name for me? 
Sure, it's Butoric. Butoric. It's great to have you. So right. you do you live there in Rome? I do. I've lived here for six years. Okay, this has to be an out-of-the-world experience right now. What is going on? Because we hear, you know, here in the United States that Rome is on lockdown. A little earlier in the week, we also heard that there are no public masses available. Does that mean there's no mass available at all for the laity in Rome? Well, uh, you know, there's private masses, so priests can celebrate mass on their own privately. Um, There are also masses that take place during uh, or in, like, religious communities, um, but these masses aren't open to the public. So they're trying to avoid large gatherings of people. Mm-hmm. Um, up until yesterday uh, morning, or to this morning, I'm sorry, it's 12.30 in the morning over here. Um, so Tuesday morning, there were still masses going on in St. Peter's Basilica, even the official masses. Um, but then that was shut down at 12 yesterday when the um, Italian government closed the border into St. Peter's Square. And again, it, was, it wasn't to stop the masses that were happening was just to stop the big gatherings of people. Wow. So really, we're looking at a country right now as people are kind of panicking over what's happening with the coronavirus. You know, we're looking here from the perspective of the United States. Our numbers aren't up there yet with kind of the number of people both infected and who have died from the coronavirus. But, I mean, the outbreak here has been real. I mean, not to make a joke out of it, but people really are, like, fighting over toilet paper in the Costco lines. People are literally fighting over hand sanitizer, Clorox wipes. Yet mm-hmm. there in Rome, I mean, you don't even have access to the mass in the same way anymore. I know people are allowed to go in and pray in the very cathedrals, but what does it seem like to you, kind of the overall feel from most of the people there on the grounds are? Well, people are, I mean, they're taking it seriously for sure, you can tell, but at the same time, um, there hasn't been, at least in in my area of Rome, a run on toilet paper. Uh, We have bidets, so, uh, you know, they don't use toilet paper. (laughs) No need for that. (laughs) Um, Kidding, kidding, of course, but... um, yeah, so there's, there hasn't been the big panic here where people are buying up all the bottled water or things like that. So and I went to the grocery store today. It's, it was more crowded than usual, but, you know, there's still plenty of pasta and Nutella and wine and, you know, things that are important here. Um, so the panic that, you know, my family and friends back home, they'll say, oh, it looks like you know, it's a war zone over there. And I walk down the street, I see, and this is, you know, Today, I see kids eating gelato. I see friends playing soccer on the street. I see people out pushing their kids in strollers. So, I mean, there's a lot of people wearing masks. There's a lot of people using hand sanitizer. Some of the pharmacies have sold out of hand sanitizer when they get it back in stock. Um, So, yeah, there's definitely, you know, people taking it seriously, but at the same time, not as much panic as, as it seems you see in the States. That's Mountain Buterich. He is found at thecatholictraveler.com. You can also follow him on Instagram, The Catholic Traveler. I really want to kind of get your thoughts. You know, here in the United States, it's so different, this contrast to there in Rome. You know, there where you guys are literally shut down, mass is not as accessible, no public gatherings. You know, even funerals have been banned. I mean, we're pushing mass and public funerals mm-hmm. all the way out until April. Is that correct? 
April 3rd. April 3rd. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous when you compare the attitude of Americans. And, you know, I want to just challenge us here in the United States because I'm just looking at part of this. And part of me sometimes wonders. And, you know, Mountain, maybe this is a little different perspective. I kind of wonder if part of the reason why Americans are panicking as they are also has to do a little bit with part of what's happening with the stock market crashing. And if that's why, you know, I hear people who are traveling there in Rome and people who are out in the Middle East right now, and they say the same level of hype is not existing. Do you think that that could be part of the attitude? Uh, It could be part of it, for sure. I mean, the economy here is tanking as well, especially tourism industry. You know, I have friends that have hotels or restaurants, and they have things canceled um, through the end of the year. And some restaurants, you know, they're shutting down until July. Till July. Yeah, till July. Just because, I mean, even though this is going until April 3rd, they've had all these cancellations. Wow. And so it's going to be really hard to recover from that for a lot of people yeah um this is the this is the when the busy season starts too is leading up to easter and so to have things canceled for for the next couple months is just that's going to be really hard you know and i do think that there is an element of money that does enter into you know when there's a crisis of health the culture really is impacted in multiple ways, you know, how we're able to care for each other, whether or not we're able to go to work, whether or not our work is able to continue and move on. I mean, these are all questions that we kind of start to panic over, which is why when I was looking at what's happening with the stock market, I really do wonder if, yes, the panic is, will I get the coronavirus? Will my loved ones get the coronavirus? But I also think the question is, what happens for all of us you know, when money starts to become a really big issue. And I think that that's where that kind of shutting down of the borders, closing of the public masses starts to enter in. So for you and the work that you're doing, do you have any tours of people you're taking there around Rome? Uh, No, everything's been canceled. I did have some for uh, the next couple of weeks. um, And they were still planning to come up until the, you know, flights started to get canceled and, things like that. So, yeah, I don't have anything um, until April. That is Mountain Buterick. He's there here with us on St. Joseph's Workshop. You're listening. I'm the host today, filling in for Father Matthew Spencer. My name's Timory. I'm the host of Trending with Timory on the weekends. Mountain, so you're seeing firsthand as well the challenge of the financial element there in the culture that is hitting from the coronavirus. So I want to talk a little bit from your perspective what are Catholics doing now when they don't have the same level of access to the Mass and maybe they're staying inside more? I know you said people are still on the streets and having gelato. What's the Catholic pulse right now? Uh, well, the churches, so they're all open, which is amazing. So even though the public Masses have stopped, all the churches remain open. And so there's lots of little small prayer vigils, again, not big gatherings. Um, I've, I'll spend most of the day today walking around. I saw a lot of the churches. There's people in there praying. Um, adoration is going on all over the place. Confession is available in just about every church I went into. Um, some churches, uh, after the priest has the private Mass, so they kind of stick to the same um, schedule that they had for the public Masses. They just close the doors. Um, but after that Mass, if people want to receive communion, 
the priest is available. Again, you know, not big crowds, just like one at a time, come in and receive communion. So sacraments are still available, um, and people are taking advantage of those. Uh, the day before yesterday, on Monday, that was the first official day of no masses. Um, the line to get into St. Peter's Basilica was about two hours long. So it was that was kind of nice to see that you know so many people were flocking to the churches. Now, it could be that everything else was closed in Rome and there was nowhere else to go, but I like to think that people were there for prayer. Uh, and I think that's a very nice sign. A lot of people do travel to Rome from all over, even who are not Catholic, for the awe and mystery of the Catholic architecture. What drew you to Rome and to start hosting these tours? Uh, well, the first time I came to Rome, I mean, it was my first time out of the country altogether, and I just fell in love with the place, seeing all of these uh, churches and where things happened. You know, when I was growing up, I just thought Rome was a bunch of old stuff. Um, but then when I came over for the first time, it was with a priest who lived here, and he showed me, like, relics of the Passion of Christ and where this saint lived and where that saint worked. And I was like, you know, I had no idea this stuff was here. And so I really fell in love with that. And when I got home, I quit the job that I had at the time, and I bought a one-way ticket and came back. And I stayed until I ran out of money, and then I just started sharing that with as many people as I could. And eventually that led to me bringing people on my own. And so that was about 16 years ago that I organized my first pilgrimage and led that here. That's a mountain. That's Mountain Buterac. You can find him at thecatholictraveler.com where you can learn more about his pilgrimages. You're listening to St. Joseph's Workshop. If you'd like to call in, I know we asked that question earlier on the hour, how did you might meet your spouse? But also, what's so special about anticipating a vacation? We're going to talk about that a little bit now. I'd like to get your thoughts, Mountain. I'm a trend, I'm Timory. I'm the host of Trending with Timory. Again, if you want to call in, the phone number is 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Mountain, you know, a lot of people really anticipate vacations. They anticipate, you know, just the idea of going away. Sometimes, in fact, I think the anticipation of the vacation is as big of a deal as a vacation or pilgrimage itself because we are so drawn to this necessity to get away from kind of the mundane or just kind of the monotony of day-to-day life. Now, you see a lot of people who are able to step away. When you see people who are coming there, um, are they really looking for an escape from their day-to-day reality, or do you think they're really looking to be wowed by the church in Rome and the higher calling that it points to and just the history of the saints who have laid down their life for their faith? You know, Which one do you think it is more so? I think it's a little of both for sure. I mean, people do like to be able to get away from home and explore and travel. But at the same time, you know, my niche is pilgrimages. So I see the people that are here for something spiritual, too. So, you know, with my I do a lot of day pilgrimages around Rome. Um, so I have people that are just in town for uh, on their own, and then they want to see the churches. And so they meet up with me. And so they're here for the Italian culture and the food. But they also want to pray. We go to Mass together. I make sure that they can go to confession in English in the churches. So I think it's both, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay to go on pilgrimage and want to be able to experience the culture and then also at the same time be able to pray and deepen your faith. 
Okay, you've got to tell me, what's your favorite site there in pilgrimage, one, to visit, and B, uh, to show other people? Because they've got to be two separate things, I imagine. Uh, actually, my, my favorite thing to do in Rome is the Scala Santa. So I don't know if I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with it, but these are the holy stairs that were originally in Jerusalem, and these are the steps yes. that Jesus climbed when he was condemned to death, right? So at Pontius Pilate's place, and then it was Queen Helena, Constantine's mother, that had the steps brought here to Rome and placed in the Apostolic Palace. And so, um, you know, that was in the 4th century, a long time ago, and then about 400 years ago, they decided to open up these stairs that were only accessible to the Holy Father and people he would invite, but they opened it up to the public. And so now the faithful are allowed to go up on their knees. And that's, uh, that's the most powerful thing for me when I, when I bring people there um, to take these people up the stairs that Christ climbed and was condemned to death. And again, we have to go up on our knees. And so, you know, you, it, we're not really used to penitential acts like that. So it really is very powerful to people to not only meditate what Christ is going through, but also feel the pain in their legs as they're, you know, kneeling up 28 wooden steps. You know, so that's my favorite thing to bring people to. I Go love ahead. that. Right. And just a moment on that, because I want to hear more, too. Um, I love those holy stairs. I'm going to butcher you. will have to tell us again for those pilgrims who are looking to go to Rome, the name in just a second. But when I was there for a month, I was so blessed. Leading up to Holy Week, it was right after Pope Francis had been elected, um, and he was elevated to the papacy. And it was such a neat experience. And one of those days, we ended up going to the holy stairs. And it was so... Um, I think both humbling and inspiring because like you said, you have to go on your knees up the stairs. And I mean, whether you're praying one rosary at each stair because it's so painful at a certain point just to take the next, mm-hmm. you know, step up to the next stair, or maybe you're just naming one person's name. I mean, those stairs, it's kind of all, everything around you stops for just a moment. And you're literally placed in the reality of the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ being condemned to death. And I mean, those stairs are not very, you know, flat and they're not padded. They're uncomfortable to go up on your knees. It's an incredible experience. And so I imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, You'd think people would just complain and not want to do it again after that. But I remember people would actually want to go back, wait in the long line, and go for a second and third time because of the experience. Did you see this happening, too? Oh, absolutely. And then I also, I mean, I do Catholic pilgrimages, but I get a lot of people that are Protestant that want to see Rome from a Catholic perspective. And so I'll bring them there, and they all go up, too. They're like... You know, they want to experience the same thing. And again, it's it's something that Christ did, so it's not specific to Catholics. But I've had Jewish people go up with me. I've had a Buddhist guy go up with me. I've had Muslims go up with me, um, Protestants and Catholics. And so it's something that everybody can kind of, you know, do together. And that doesn't really make sense. But um, it's something that people all do want to experience. I, I It's rare that I have anyone that like gets there and says, oh, I'm going to sit this out. Unless there's really some serious medical issue with their knees or legs or their back or they can't make it up. 
Okay, Mountain. So, people need to go to Rome. They need to go with you to tour Rome. They can find you at thecatholictraveler.com. I'll be sure to post that as well on my Instagram. You can find me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I'm filling in for Father Matthew today here on St. Joseph's Workshop. If you want to call in, ask a question, you can find us at 1-888-914-9149. Again, give us a jingle. We'd love to hear maybe where you met your spouse, where you would recommend searching to find a spouse. You know, what's the new watering hole? Again, give us a call at 888-914-9149 and be sure to check out thecatholictraveler.com with Mountain Buturic. Hi, this is Father Rocky with our 12th Lenten lesson on the Mass. The number one song ever, according to me, is the Gloria, which the Church has been singing for 2,000 years and was first performed by the Choir of Angels over Bethlehem the night Jesus was born. It's a song of rejoicing because God has sent us a Savior. The Gloria has inspired composers down through the centuries to create stunningly beautiful musical scores for choir and orchestra. Some of the greatest are by Handel and Mozart. But the finest, most sublime setting for the Gloria is from the Mass, Cum Jubilo, a classic Gregorian chant score, but we don't know who composed it. It's reported that Mozart once said it was the most beautiful music he ever heard. On very special occasions, the bells are rung during the Gloria, Midnight Mass and Christmas, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, and Easter Vigil. Brought to you by the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help, America's only church-approved Marian apparition site, championshrine.org. you to do the ordinary in an extraordinary way. This is St. Joseph's Workshop with Father Matthew Spencer on Relevant Radio. Hello, this is Timurie Jaja. You may know me as Millington. I'm filling in here for Father Matthew on St. Joseph's Workshop. You may have heard me on Trending with Timurie on the weekends here on Relevant Radio. We are talking about the crazy story of how women who are sharing the most devastating experience of having had an abortion instead are screaming their abortion experience on the steps to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. We're going to be talking about that in just a minute. We had the famous Busy Phillips, who is known for her talk show, as well as being really acting in numerous shows and movies now as well. So we'll be sharing a little bit about her testimony in just a minute here. But I've been asking this question, how did you meet your spouse? We're in this crisis of how do you meet a spouse? You know, we are seeing the kind of conversations surrounding The Bachelor, and now this new Netflix show, Love is Blind. I want to hear from you because a lot of people don't know how to try people out. Instead, they're trying them on and getting way further into bed and life than they ever planned to. So we have one person who has wanted to share their story. Her name's Rachel. Rachel, share with us how you met your spouse. The Catholic Center at the college. So I would encourage young people to, if you're a practicing Catholic, to... You know, get involved in the Newman Club or if it's called the Catholic Center at your college because that's where you're going to find people who are practicing Catholics and who are going to have like values like your own and to meet someone that maybe you're um, the spouse that God had intended for you. 
I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Rachel. I have a question for you. So I'll hear you've been through this. You met your spouse at a young adult Catholic group. Now, I know a lot of young people who kind of sometimes give up on going to certain events like the young adult group that you mentioned, because they're like, I know everyone. Or sometimes they feel like people are just husband or wife kind of hunting and they feel a little objectified or maybe, you know, it's the same people over and over again. What would you say to those people who feel that way? I would look for a group that also has a service element to it and different activities. Um, the way I got involved in that group was um, my girlfriends at the time, it, they, this church, Catholic Church, was next to their college, and they invited me. And it was there were different activities, and there were a lot of people involved, and there was service element to it. So you didn't kind of get that. I know exactly what you were talking about, and... My daughter's experience was such that um, she, that was the place because she was away from home at a college, and um, that was a place for her to feel a sense of community and, and a sense of comfort because she was away from home, and that's where she had the opportunity to meet other people who were, you know, in the same kind of situation. And um, there was a lot of service activities um, involved as well as math and so forth at this particular college that enabled, you know, I think that's an important yes. thing is that there's there's more than just, oh, yes. we're having these activities so you can meet people and date each other. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It is so important that more people see how important it is. Like Rachel, she met her spouse there at a young adult group. Thank you so much for sharing, Rachel. And I love what Rachel said because she talked about how there needs to be an element of service because sometimes if it's just maybe just for the sake of getting together or even, you know, I think the Catholic sports are awesome and we need to be doing something, but the service element, it really does kind of put challenge people to kind of put their Catholicism into work. It challenges them to start engaging with other people uh, in a different way. It challenges them to go outside of themselves so that it's not just about spouse hunting. Maybe it's not always the same people that you kind of feel are coming there to those young adult groups and have hope because there are so many people who have met their spouses in unimaginable places. You know, be open to what God may be calling you to do. And I can say from my own story that, when I was willing to continue to serve the church and be open to continuing to develop in my faith life during my single years, or I could say, you know, my husband and I dated, you know, I don't share with this with a lot of people because you've got to really understand the context, uh, but we did it for six years and it was really challenging. You know, being chased for six years is challenging. Um, you know, we had a longer courtship than we ever would have hoped. And, you know, a lot of people are struggling because of student loans, uh, because of cost of living. Trust me, I get it. I live in Southern California. And sometimes they think that they have no hope or even any future because of this. You know, I challenge you, allow God to work with whatever struggles and sorrows there might be in your life, if that's you. Um, and really choose to serve our Lord. If I hadn't, you know, chosen to work in pro-life work or be involved in other Catholic apostolates, I could really see myself losing hope. I want to go ahead and take another caller here in a second. If you want to share how you met your spouse to help give hope to those people who are searching, please give us a call. This is Tim Ram filling in for St. Joseph's Workshop. That is Father Matthew's gone this week. You can catch me on the weekends here on Relevant Radio on Trending with Timory at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. 
learn. So go ahead and give us a call if you'd like to share your story. That's 888-914-9149. Again, our number is 888-914-9149. I'd love to hear from Carlo, who's been waiting to share his story about how he met his spouse. How do you meet your spouse, Carlo? It's Catholic Carlos. Catholic <laughs> like Carlos. Catholic Carlos. Yes, proud to be Catholic. So go ahead and share us, share with us your story. Clearly, being Catholic was really important to you, I imagine, even when you met your spouse. It was, and that was, um, I actually met my wife on CatholicSingles.com, if you can believe that. Really? And it was about, yes, I had never done that before. Didn't have any problems with dating, but... Um, just involved with work and all these other things, you know, or just, I, unfortunately I had a lot of uh, bad relationships and I never, I was never able to find a girl that was in, in the same faith as I, I couldn't get her to go to church with me and so forth. And that was something that was very important to me. Obviously you want to date someone that's in the same religion, but um, it's, I call it divine intervention because I was in a men's group and uh, I was doing fellowship and I was actually doing a Bible study and I was dating girls, and it turns out that um, when I finally decided to go on CatholicSingles.com, I found this one girl, and, and she got my attention. But before that, a priest, uh, a really good uh, uh, friend of mine, uh, had told me, hey, you know what, you need to pray for your spouse. Even though you're not married, pray for that person that God has set aside for you, mm-hmm. wherever she may be. Just pray on that. And I finally, you know, when I finally, I was just done with the whole dating scene and I just put it in God's hands and I, I, and I asked God to just put that right person in my path who was going to be there with me, you know, by my side. And thanks be to God that, you know, I went out to Catholic singles and it turns out that for two years I had been doing Bible study with my wife's brother, which I didn't even know they were related. Wow. We, we had, we were connected through the parish priest, with his, which is named Father Joshua. He's retired now. But for two years, I had already been sitting and doing men's fellowship with her brother. And um, once, once she, you know, we, we were up all night like teenagers <laughs> talking that first time we finally got on the phone. And the rest is history. We've been married. We dated for six years. Um, and we've been married now for five. And I have a beautiful son. Um, it's, it's just awesome, and it's it's funny. It's not funny, but despite what society threw at me, you know, with the mortgage meltdown and losing everything, I lost so many oh, things. You know, from yeah. from from uh, you know financially, business, right. friends, oh, I'm family, so sorry. you name it. Yes. At the lowest point of oh, I'm I'm glad it happened because thank God for my faith. I never I never gave up on that. I never gave up on Jesus because I knew he was he was preparing me for something better. Carlos, thank you so much for sharing your story because, you know, we look at this and all this time, although you met your wife through CatholicSingles.com, her brother was right there with you in the Bible study. And, you know, that reminds me of two things. One, be open to being introduced to someone wherever it may be, even if that introduction possibly happens, of course, in a safe environment online. But the second thing is, if you want to date someone, if you're interested in getting married, if you want to have a family, please share that with other people. Because sometimes people don't want to butt in. 
They don't want to, you know, kind of violate your boundaries. And we need to be willing to tell people, hey, I'm willing to be set up. If you really do know someone, I'm interested in you telling me a little bit more about them and maybe going out to coffee with them, you know, for just a few minutes uh, to get to know them. You know, no big, long commitments. It's just a start. And I think that that's something we need to be more open to. And we also need to be more willing to ask people who are maybe a little nervous, say, hey, would you be interested in me, you know, introducing you to someone? So thanks so much to Carlo for sharing his story. If you'd like to share your story about how you met your spouse to provide hope to other people who are looking, please call in. We'd love to hear your story at St. Joseph's Workshop here. I'm filling in for Father Matthew. My name's Tim Ray. You can learn more about me and my show by heading over to radiotrending.com. But give us a call now. Our number is 888-914-9149. We actually have a the lines are starting to ring here. We're hearing from multiple people who would love to share their story, one of which I want to hear a little bit about Claire's story. She saw her husband's name in a magazine uh, before they even started dating, it sounds like. So, Claire, please share with us your story. Yeah, uh, actually, we didn't really date. I just saw his name in the magazine I, because I thought I was going to be a nun because from kinder to college, I was in a Catholic school exclusively for girls, and the teachers are all nuns. So <laughs> there are many, believe, aren't many options there. <laughs> yeah, I know nothing. So, and then one, one of, one of, uh, one day, I just saw I was just reading magazine, and I just saw this name, and we start. I start writing to him, and for eight years, we've been writing letters. We haven't seen each other for eight years. And then he finally decided to visit me, and that's where it started. We always focus on the Lord. We always focus and made him the center of our life, and we've married for 35 years. Wow, what an awesome story. Claire, thank you so much for sharing that. Look, at this is another great example. You know, we see this story about Love is Blind, this new Netflix show where two people meet, you know, and talk to each other between a wall, and that's how they get to know each other. Well, you just heard from Claire. Her and her husband wrote letters, love letters, back and forth before ever even meeting for years. And what an awesome story. If you want to go ahead and share your story about how you met your spouse, go ahead and give us a call here at St. Joseph's Workshop. That's 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. I'm Tim Ray, filling in for Father Matthew. Helping you to do the ordinary in an extraordinary way. This is St. Joseph's Workshop with Father Matthew Spencer on Relevant Radio. Looking at all of the calls, Edward, Brooke, great. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm sorry we can't get to you guys, but, you know, just two more stories briefly of what I'm hearing about their stories. You know, one of them asked God to help them find a spouse, and he met her at church, and another person, Brooke, met through a young adult group. So just some hope, inspiration for those people who are searching for someone to meet. My name is Timri Jaja. You may know me from the weekend show, Trending with Timri. I'm filling in today for Father Matthew Spencer. Thanks for being with me.
on your drive time. Let me know where you're at. You can send me a tweet at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Or you can find me on Instagram. Let us know where you're listening from. So I want to talk about this busy fill-up story that has broken over the last couple of days. So you may have been following uh, that Shout Your Abortion campaign. I mean, just shout it loud and proud and nasty. Um, And that's what's sad is that such a life-changing experience, such a life-destroying experience, is just screamed out with no qualification. And this is a story of Busy Phillips. We're going to play a clip here in just a second. So for those who don't know Busy Phillips, she has her own talk show. She's an actress. And she has been a huge advocate, really even testifying before the House of Representatives this past year um, surrounding issues about uh, creating some restrictions on abortion. In fact, just even trying to get abortion standards up to other basic medical health standards. And she's so opposed to even making sure that an abortion clinic can take a woman to a local hospital easily if something goes wrong. She thinks there's something wrong with that and that those laws shouldn't be passed. Uh, and so she's shouting her abortion. And so she talks about how, you know, she's married. She has a spouse. She has two children. She has a great career. In fact, her husband has decided to take a year off of work to parent. And so she's talking about all that she has in her life. And then she says this. And I have all of this. All of it! Because! 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 I was allowed bodily autonomy at 15! Man, I just hear her screaming. And I hear her so insistent that she never would have had a life. Her life would have been over if that baby were to have been born. And I'm sorry, but Busy Phillips, I disagree with you. I have sat in front of those abortion clinics, sidewalk counseling women. I have been inside our crisis pregnancy centers in Southern California for years. I worked for one in five year, for five years, and I saw woman after woman and young man come in and out of that abort in in and out of the crisis pregnancy center people who thought that they wanted an abortion or some people who did and we saw the aftermath after and i have to tell you that so many of those women are telling a different narrative of how they chose life despite the challenging experience that they found themselves in And their life was changed. They were able to make sure that there was a life given to that child. In fact, a life that was already living that they just, you know, didn't interfere with in the womb. And they were able to go on with their life. Does your life change when you conceive and have a baby? Absolutely. And yes, there are also stories of women who have placed their children for adoption as well. But, you know, I look at the stories of women who have shared about their abortion experience at Silent No More. And I just look at Busy Phillips. I think you are not the only one who speaks for women. We believe that women deserve better than abortion. And I mean, this is what's so confusing about the Shout Your Abortion campaign is that it doesn't tell the full story. And in fact, I think it actually does tell a lot of the story by the fact that these women feel like they have to scream their abortion experience. 
And just to think of a couple stories of women who's, who I've seen lives change. You know, I think of one girl working in the crisis pregnancy centers that had come in. She was homeless. She was, you know, going through, um, she was on drugs. She had a sibling who was in a horrible place in his own life, difficult family experiences. And I remember that girl came in and her little boy is, you know, a number of years old now. He's going to school now, you know, getting an education. And she herself, I mean, she was, you know, one of our awesome stories. I mean, it took minutes. We had to, you know, kind of reach out, find a place for her to live, find a car for her to drive, help get her through school, you know, help her to get into recovery. And then, you know, one thing after another, and this beautiful woman, after being so loved by a family who was willing to take her in, in her dire moment of being pregnant, this woman ends up converting to Catholicism. This woman ends up getting married. Was it easy? Absolutely not. But these are the stories you do not get to hear because people think that the only option is to make sure there's always an option for abortion. And, you know, when I think of this in contrast to other stories that we're hearing in the media right now, and, you know, I am just so impressed by people like Jennifer Snowden who are willing to share a different story. If you're just joining us, thanks for listening. My name is Tim Ray. You're listening to St. Joseph's Workshop, and I'm filling in for Father Matthew. You can catch me on the weekends, Trending with Tim Ray. We air at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. So I'm looking at Jennifer Snowden. For those who don't know her, she is one of the Southern Charm stars from the reality TV show. Now, Jennifer Snowden, also Catholic, actually shared her story recently about how she was encouraged to have an abortion. Now, it's really interesting because you follow her story. Um, her child was going to have a heart problem and um, or sorry, a brain problem. And as the story progresses, she receives this diagnosis that about 15 weeks. And by the way, hope for anyone who might be experiencing infertility. Jennifer Snowden is yet another person who was told that she wasn't going to be able to have children. Another person who was told that. And no, that was not her story. So for all those people who are experiencing infertility, please don't lose hope. And I want to encourage you to check out resources such as NAPRO Doctors as well for helping to move along whatever may be going on with an infertility type of experience. Uh, not the time to share, but my I myself have some um, reproductive issues that also make conceiving and carrying a child difficult. And I understand the struggle uh, that you are going through. And so does Jennifer Snowden. She was told she would never have a child, found out when she was about three months along um, that she was pregnant. And then at 15 weeks, she was she was received the diagnosis that her baby had a rare neural tube defect. Now, she was advised by multiple people to have an abortion. Even her husband was slightly questioning it. And then at 23 weeks, one person spoke up. It was her hairdresser. And that this hairdresser really encouraged her to remember that God can heal in the womb. And so Jennifer Snowden's been using her platform to share about the incredible miracle that she herself experienced. She ended up receiving healing for her child. Now, it was a miraculous healing. The doctors, everyone were amazed in utero. They figured out that the baby was going to be fine. The baby ends up being born and then quickly ends up right at birth, end up having a couple of very serious issues with its brain. And they end up having to rush the baby for various medical treatments. And days later, that baby's able to come home. And whose intercession did she pray for? 
St. Joseph and St. Gerard. And we're about to start the Novena to St. Joseph on the 11th here of October. So if you're listening, get that Novena printed, whatever you need to do, and whatever that intention might be that you're praying for, I'm going to ask you to pray for something else. I'm going to ask you to pray for people who really want to conceive a baby. I'm going to ask you to pray for people who are searching for their spouses. We need to be willing to pray for the many struggles that people are facing in our culture, very serious issues that are really pulling at the heartstrings of so many people. And the more we can speak to faith, to family, to marriage, the more we counter the culture, such as the busy Phillips who think they need to shout their stories. We don't have to shout our stories. We just have to show them there's another way to live, and it's full of hope. So start that St. Joseph Novena. Thanks for listening. I'm Timory.